Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Every now and again, we're in the middle of an interview on the podcast when we've got a guest on to talk about one thing, but they end up saying something that sends the conversation in a totally different direction. It happened recently with Jack Conan, who came on to reflect on Ireland's Grand Slam victory, but ended up talking about a medical issue he was suffering that had drained him of much of his energy last season, affected him physically and psychologically. I'd have to say it made me more invested in him than I would have <laughs> yeah. ordinarily been and this, watching this him this has happened in the past oh, Jack Golden is now one of those guys for me Every watching time him, him like... marauding around the Lansdowne Road pitch on Saturday scoring two tries and generally dominating the Toulouse back row it looked as though he's back to his best and it was great to see it you are welcome to your Bank Holiday Monday podcast hey Si how are hey you? Owen how are you hello hey there. Murph here on here. hello there Simon uh, were you on that tweet that uh, someone uh, sent to me on Saturday morning it was a Twitter poll Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, who is going to win Man of the Match today? And there were three options. Number six, number <laughs> seven, or number eight. I consider we had uh, Darius van der Fleer and Conan in the background. Yeah, I honestly felt like bet. that would actually... Conan cruelly overlooked it. I think it was Gibson Park got it in the end. Yeah, yeah, you want to be very, game. very good to beat a back row who scores two tries and all the stats. <laughs> well, let's be honest. Let's be honest, Simon. Dunland didn't pick that. No, it was, it, there was some. The, yeah, it, was, it was a carve up between the broadcasters. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that the um, the uh, dilettantes on BT Sport are handing out man of the match awards to scrum halves, <laughs> people whose no, the number on their back are in double figures, that sort of thing. I, I overthinking it <sighs> to Absolutely. steal the stats that Jerry. It was Rory Kelly who sent me that tweet as well. By to the way. steal the stats that Jerry had on Conan's performance. Two tries, first tries he scored for Leinster in over a year. He also carried eleven times for sixty-five meters and made seventeen tackles, missing none. So How many did he miss? On sorry, that was none. None zero. A little reminder of what Conan had to say to us last month. I well, I was struggling with energy a lot post post kind of Christmas of uh, twenty-one, and um, you know I played that Six Nations and I just knew something wasn't right, and um, it was like that for months. And I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't train as hard as I wanted. I couldn't perform at the level I wanted. And, um, you know, I, I ended up getting a, a series of tests on and, and, um, after about four or five months, they, they kind of found, uh, uh, a, a certain abnormality, uh, okay. in some regard. And, uh, 
it's it's been rectified now. It took it took a few months even post that to kind of things energy level to come back uh, to the point where I felt like I was myself again. You know, for a long time there I didn't. So and uh, you know I, now I'm. I kind of, it's, it's something I held with me for a long, long time and I, I couldn't let go of it because every game, every training session, all I was thinking about was how am I going to feel? How tired am I going to be? I kind of did a bit of work with Gary Keegan, Keegan in, in, in Irish camp and I sat down and, you know, he I sat down with him one day and he was like, you need to let it go. Do you know what I mean? You need to forgive yourself for not being at the level you wanted to be at. You know, that's in the past now. You need to release it and, and um it took me a while, but it did, and I feel like I'm, I'm better for it. And, uh, you know, the last few weeks is probably the best rugby I've played in a long, long time. And I was, it was the not knowing that was killing me because I, a bit in my head was like, do I just have long COVID here? You know what I mean? Like COVID over the Christmas pre- previously leading up to Six Nations 22. Yeah. I was like, do I just have long COVID here? Am I just struggling because of that? And um, I'm sure that probably didn't help. But uh, you know, it turned out to be something else, and I got a lot of um, a lot of uh, peace when I when I finally found out what it was, and um, that was the, kind of the start of the journey about getting back to, to to who I am and and the player that I am. It was funny; he seemed quite surprised himself that he was talking about that. Yeah, almost, yeah. he started getting into it, and, and I don't know if that was actually the plan. But he subsequently did That's more great media. journalism. On he did <laughs> he, he did more media. He revealed it was uh, after he chatted to us. He revealed it was a cyst in his pituitary gland. He went in for a scan and mm. a neck injury that led to a brain scan, and that's where thankfully he was spotted and has since been dealt with but mm. he was yeah he was pretty phenomenal at the weekend he was brilliant and he was saying the Scotland game in the Six Nations was the first time he, he spent a full game feeling like himself so it's quite recent oh yeah and I would say this game is probably his best performance this season the fact that he even got picked means Leo Cullen seen an awful lot in training as well like picked ahead of Caelan Doris who we were saying a few weeks ago was probably the best number 8 Doris was number 6 we should say sorry yeah 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 yeah, yeah. But, but picked but it still... it, 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 we all know number eight's the most important position <laughs> let's, let's be honest about it yeah put it that way he's not he's not on the bench uh, and he's in his preferred starting like Doris's preferred starting position is 8 yeah now obviously Doris was brilliant think, as well, but it does say something that he got that selection. Yeah, I think most back rowers who fancy themselves as, as being, you know, skillful ball player, good ball players, the big dog, want to play number eight, don't they? Yeah. Isn't it one of those things? Yeah. It's like you get stuck at full back. I really, I see myself more as a midfielder. Well, in every team up to about under 15, the best player just stick him at number eight because he's a yeah, yeah, big yeah. lad who runs at you and can pass. Gets, a right. lot, gets on the ball a fair bit. <laughs> uh, but he was interesting after he was talking about... Um, every day is a school day. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Little window into my selection policy for... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Clontarf under nines know what's coming next year. <laughs> the uh, he was talking after as well, like he doesn't feel Leinster played very well over the last few years in the big games in Europe, but that they're figuring out themselves in Ireland are figuring out how to deal with big men. Miafo I thought was actually quite good for Toulouse, but another absolute giant Arnold wasn't so great. But our relatively small second rows, I thought I played the two of them ultimately but then you see Will Skelton coming up looking so relaxed in the post-match interviews after the La Rochelle game and Mm. he's another level again because he's the size plus the offloads plus the brains like he's a really smart rugby player as well and uh, it's just a slightly unnerving thing of Leinster have dealt with everything except like Raj and Will Skelton Yeah it's interesting Dan Sheehan was asked after the match but before the second semi-final Mm. which team do you want it's always asked Mm. normally people are just dead bad at it. as he did initially whoever he said initially before saying 
it would be nice to get La Rochelle again. That one hurt us last year. To get another swipe at them, especially here in the Aviva in front of a home crowd, would be something special. And it is going to be very different to playing in Marseille. It's going yeah. to be a different vibe entirely. It is. We, and we'll talk to Jerry. actually. We're going to hear from Jerry and Shane Horgan in a little while. And Jerry's got some, some good stats on how strong Leinster are at the Aviva Stadium. So I, I would have to think that's a pretty big factor. But La Rochelle have had their number the last couple of times they played mm. so it's a big one I I still think like Toulouse win the top 14 La Rochelle still haven't won it they won the double a couple of years ago Toulouse they've probably more talented players than either La Rochelle or Leinster as in the, the extremely talented ones obviously DuPont and Entomac in those yeah. but then I sort of feel like La Rochelle are probably still the best coach side Okay. Certainly, if you were to go in the in the weekends games and over the last couple of years, La Rochelle feel like the best coach side in Europe. It, it, it's a good matchup, though. I think it's good that the two oh, are playing again. You get a rematch. It's a proper it's rivalry. Ridiculous. Then building. it's interesting that that Sheen would say that that they shouldn't want La Rochelle. You know, Exeter would be a far easier game, but they want them. You know, mm-hmm. and how many players have we spoken to this year? We spoke to Ryan Baird and a couple of others, Leinster and Ireland players, and just keep referring back to last year's final, like their whole. <laughs> source of energy and motivation this year is the last second loss to La Rochelle in the final. Oh, completely. Well, anyway, that's come to pass. It's going to be on in the Aviva Stadium, 20th of May. 20th of May. Okay, so that sounded like 28th. 20th, <laughs> Saturday, 20th <laughs> of May. Little, Quarter to five kickoff. Big day of sport in Dublin. Katie Taylor's homecoming fight in the Three Arena is on that night. In case you're wondering why you can't flag down and have free now taxi <laughs> on that Saturday that could be the reason there's a lot of sports fans in town Shane Horgan and Jerry Thorny on today to chat about Leinster's win and Ireland's fifth defeat in five in what has been a nightmare women's Six Nations campaign this is your one Bank Holiday Monday pod you're going to have to be a World Service member to hear Ken's football show tomorrow he's got some things to say about Liverpool Spurs Jurgen Klopp let it flow by the looks of his Irish Times article there's also a massive match tonight with Everton away to Leicester if they lose that one I'm going to say, oh, are Everton down if they lose that? Mathematically, oh. no, but their next They're two games, big trouble. you know, their next two games after this are Brighton and then Man City. Brighton away, Man City at home. Mm. So their final two games, I should say, are absolutely perfect end of season fodder. Wolves and Bournemouth. Oh, amazing. You don't just want to be playing mid-table teams. You want to be playing teams who've been in a relegation fight yeah. most of the season, but are now safe. Yeah, you, you don't want lads who've been on the beach for three months. You want lads who've just landed on yeah, the beach. They're exhaling. They're, 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 they're currently week. exhaling. Because yeah. you get bored of being on the beach yeah, and then exactly. you start winning like, and you start getting motivated actually, again. You know, I'd, yeah, like, yeah. I'd actually like some physical exertion now. I'd actually like to do something, yeah. you know, so... Yeah, the problem, <laughs> the problem for Everton is they have to get that far, and it's just they, they need a win tonight, or at least, well, they, they pretty much need a win. Anyway, that's going to be we're going to be talking to Ken about that tomorrow. You'll have to be a member, secondcaptains.com, five or a month plus VAT to sign up. Wednesday's pod will be Paul Flynn and Michael Murphy on the football championship. The big result of the weekend came in the hurling. Murph Limerick taken down, and deservedly so by Claire. <laughs> uh, a night of magnificent frenzy. Malachy Clerken called it in the Irish Times uh, on Saturday night on the website. And I mean, it was. They, like, these guys should actually play each other. I know it's it's a cliche. It's like, they'd get tired eventually of playing each other 10 times a season. But honestly, I don't think Limerick and Clare would. They've just given us three unbelievable games in the last 12 months. And uh, this one went, like, all the way down to the wire. There were probably 15 moments where you're like, well, that's that now. That's <laughs> that decided. That's the the, the, the winning of the game. Uh, and it just rolled on and on and on in just a, like a beautiful, beautiful uh, tapestry of sport. So on. what was it? What is it about Claire that gets under, or in this case anyway, got under Limerick's skin? 
I mean, all I'm just going to come right out and say it. Claire, do not fear Limerick. They're literally the meath of this Limerick hurling team. Uh, Hang on, they hadn't, they hadn't beaten Limerick at the Gaelic Ground since 1889 or something. There was a stat, uh, right? Yeah, I think... Yeah, the original stat was that uh, they'd never beaten Limerick. I think that maybe someone might have found one in the late yeah. 1800s. Yeah, at the, specifically at the Gaelic Grounds. They would have played them a lot in Thurlis and various places. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, no, I mean, it's it, like, like Claire, it was a last chance saloon for Claire. Uh, Cork did it last year they lost the first few games of the Munster Championship and then managed to squeak in in third place but if you lose your first two games in a five team group with four only four games I mean you're massively putting yourself behind the eight ball um, but also like Clare have a ton of really good forwards and it's it's nearly kind of overlooked I think this maybe happens you know when there is a guy as good as Tony Kelly has been for the last four or five years that the narrative like just shrinks down to them, mm. and more often than not, that has been the case. But at various times in the last three or four years, he's been without uh, Mark Rogers. Ryan Taylor's had injuries. Aaron Shanahan's had a ton of injuries. Uh, Aidan McCarthy missed all of last year. So it, the, the that narrative about Clare only having you know one real scoring threat. Shane O'Donnell obviously has had uh, injury troubles over the last eighteen months as well, two years. So these narratives kind of build up even if you know that these players will be coming back on stream and that at some unspecified date in the future Clare will actually have a very good forward line they they have that now yeah. the vast majority of those guys are actually fit now and um, yeah like they can really play you know uh, now I was actually writing last week about how for the vast majority so there have been three round robin seasons so six teams have failed to qualify from the Munster Championship. And four of those teams went winless in the season where they, they ended up not finishing outside the top three. So for the va- and the other two times, you could you could make any sort of an argument where a team played well and just were unlucky to lose out in the Munster round robin. So this kind of uh, narrative has... I hate using that word. I've used it again. But, you know, the, there's an idea out there that, you know, great teams always miss out in the Munster round robin. It's actually has never happened like a team that's played well has never missed out in the Munster round robin I feel like Waterford are already doomed they were so poor yesterday just so lifeless hammered by Cork yeah absolutely and you know a big crowd big crowd of Waterford people in Porky Cueve like no excuse whatsoever after a pretty positive uh, display against Limerick last week Um, Waterford are now gone Mm -hmm. but this could be the year that just you know, by the vagaries of the Munster Championship, a team that's actually played quite well, won at least two games, will just lose out on scoring difference. And I, you know, Cork put a big score on Waterford. Limerick didn't do that. I mean, are Limerick now in danger? I mean, I think that's still it's still premature to be talking like that. No, but when you look at how bad Waterford were yesterday and how close they came, and then Limerick lose on Saturday, all Saturday did was give teams all over the place hope that maybe Limerick aren't entirely unbeatable. Limerick will still be in the Munster final. They'll still be in an Ireland semi-final, I think. But uh, it's not look, looking half as cut and dried it as mi- it did three weeks it ago. It might also do what this sometimes does to great teams and give them actually a heads up early in the year that there are issues that need to be yeah. fixed and they might get them fixed if you were yeah. to look at I it mean, negatively. Do, do, yeah, exactly. And the, But the one thing I suppose is that they, they lost Sean Finn and Keane Lynch to injury and none of them look like the sort of thing that they'll be able to run off in a week or two weeks so they are two absolute mainstays of the team so 
throw all that into the mix. Throw the fact that Garrod Hegarty didn't start. Possibly internal discipline thing, given the fact that he got sent off and maybe it's a way for John Collier to say, listen, you can't keep getting sent off. You can't keep giving referees the chance to ref you in a way that even even if we think it's unfair, you ha- you have to take it out of their hands. So, you know, there are things floating around there. Um, I mean... There's still going to be still going to be right back in it, but it did. It 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 um it it you know even goal like Kenny had. I I thought for all the people were saying it was kind of, it was kind of a sleepy enough old game. I did actually feel like there was an extra edge to it, given that that Limerick is Limerick is slipping gives everyone hope. People were giving out about it not being on television. It yes, was a GA Go match. I saw, for example, Tony Lean, Irish Examiner sports editor. Sent a big miss for the nation's TV watchers. Roy Curtis, two-time sports writer of the year. Mm-hmm. An extraordinary and magnificent contest. Limerick taken down by Clare in an elemental, visceral, stunning battle. By some distance, the most compelling contest in Irish sport this weekend. Incredible game and no national TV coverage. Shameful. <laughs> I mean, shameful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the deal. Like, the deal was signed nine months ago. This was going to happen, you know. Uh, and, like... I would I would just accept this at the time. You know, if you're writing at the time, fair enough. But I mean... And fairness, I haven't had a chance to go back and look at either yeah. either journalists' writings at the time here, so maybe they, yeah. they may well have been writing. Yeah, and I mean, 60 quid uh, to get it before Christmas, uh, 60 quid on top of your BT subscription, 60 quid on top of your Sky Sports subscription. It'd be a good gift, say, for a son to give a mother. Well, I thought it was, well, it was I mean, 79 euro at the weekend. I know that because I subscribed to watch the dubs, Murph. Yeah, God. You're just like... <laughs> well, this is literally exactly what everyone... This is yeah, what this, this model is, is built on. It's, it's people want to watch their county. and it, like, Okay, so you are going to miss the odd... You're not gonna, there is going to be the odd big game that people will say it's a shame it wasn't on yeah. national television. These sort of services, and it was Sky Sports, and now it's GA Go, are also showing you a lot of games that might not otherwise be shown. I yeah. don't know what that Dubs game had been anywhere. If there, if there, if, well, you know. certainly there was new brown, new ground broken uh, yesterday. When at half four, there were three games on three di- three live GA games on three different services simultaneously. So Armagh Down was on BBC Northern Ireland, uh, Dublin. And Kildare uh, threw in half an hour late, obviously, because I thought Offaly went to extra time. And then there was Cork Waterford on RT television as well. So the money you pay gets you more choice. Absolutely. The fact of the matter is, the you know, this is settled law that the GA are going to sell their uh, rights and you're going to have to pay a subscription of some kind or another to see these GA games. So, I mean, I have a limited enough amount of sympathy for people making the point that for some reason Claire Limerick should be on national television. I mean, I, I don't know what that means. You know, like, if it was a terrible game, would it not matter if it wasn't on national... If Limerick had won it by 15 points? I mean, I, 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 I don't get the argument. I mean, absolutely get the argument that uh, at least when Sky were paying uh, the GA for the media rights, that was money coming from Sky into the GA. Now what we have is GA Go, which is... Uh, co-run by Orti and the GA itself. So the GA is paying itself to show games, in part at least. Mm-hmm. It's also paying itself to bring up what was just sort of a, a belt and braces operation, which GA Go was, up to broadcast quality. I sat down to watch uh, Limerick and Clare. Seamus Hickey and Tommy Walsh were outside the ground. You got a flavour for what it was actually like to be at a championship game. A couple of minutes later, they're on the pitch. Seamus Hickey is there analysing the Clare warm-up on the field itself. 
it was a really good production. Yeah, like, Kate, I really, Kate. really enjoyed David Burke was dressed like Tony Montana. It was, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Keen Ward, Ward and Paddy Andrews are doing the analysis at, at Croker for the Dublin game and they're both very good. Really Analysts, enjoyed you know, both So them. it's not just, I, I think, you know, people might have the image that this is just a streaming it's just yeah. a match streaming service which is the case in other sports but they've obviously added yeah bells and whistles. Uh, absolutely it's so i mean you know you can that's that's the reality of the situation i mean uh, a year ago we had a british company paying us money to us being the ga paying the ga money to show show games now the ga is paying the ga to show games so i mean it was always a ridiculous thing so I mean, this idea that we're, that you're giving out about Claire and Limerick, Claire and Limerick being uh, not on the national broadcaster, I just. But isn't that, isn't that ridiculous? I mean, it's not everyone wants to get Sky, and a lot of people want to cut the cord, and a lot of people are going through subscription services, and you end up getting a situation where you can pay if you're a hardcore GA fan. Mm. That's the main thing you want to see. You get to see loads of games for. I didn't even realize it was it was cheaper than the seventy nine, but sixty euro, or whatever. Six euro for, for a year. season pass. Which sounds like pretty before, good value. before uh, the end of December. Of last year, like what I'm saying is, it's not. It's it's as though it's like I understand it, it's it's still money out of your pocket, but it's not like the GA are saying you can't watch these games. It was televised. It depends what you call TV. It was broadcast. Mm. It was just broadcast on a streaming service as opposed to oh, I don't, I terrestrial don't, TV. I don't have a problem with that. I don't know. Even do the the lads previously quoted? Do, is that what they have a problem with? The fact that it's on a laptop that you can just connect to your like my mom and dad can figure out how to use a HDMI cable. So I think that includes. I'm I'm willing to ex- say that basically anyone can do it if mom and, if my mom and dad can do it. So I mean I don't think that's the the problem necessarily. It's the it's the money you know. And I mean, sure it's not it's not it's a good deal. Sixty quid is a good deal. Eighty quid is a good deal. I mean. I, you know, you're going to watch it for two or three months. Mm. You know, if if say if you were getting Sky only for the GA, you, you'd be paying about the same. You know, if if it was just the GA that you were interested in, of course, the fact of the matter is, like when the GA when uh, Sky bought rights for GA games, I mean, it didn't knock a bother out of me because I was paying my money for Sky. I was watching golf, I was watching Formula One, or I was watching the Premier League. You know, that's you get all that plus the GA games. Whereas with GA Go, all you get is the GA, like it's not a thing that you log into throughout the week and there's like new programming up. It's literally here. Here are the games, and it's and that's it. I mean, I like I actually have really enjoyed the GA Go production. I enjoyed the fact that uh, I can sit down on a Tuesday morning and watch an, a, a, a game back in full with commentary. I mean, I enjoy that. I mean, I, I like the fact that it's just all there ready for you to, to flick through or watch back if you're doing analysis pieces on the podcast or like all of it I've really enjoyed I've I, uh, there were problems last week apparently with the app and with the the iPad app I didn't hear much of that talk this week mm-hmm. so it's only natural that there are going to be teething problems and hopefully you know I was concerned about the rural broadband in Milltown no problems there so I mean this is the reality you know like, like once uh, the decision was made that subscription channels were going to be allowed to show the GA. This is what happens. Great games happen on channels that aren't RT or TG Car or Virgin Media. So, like, I, I, I don't get that part of it. I just don't get that Email part of it. Email editor at com if you've got anything you want to say about that or indeed any other matter. And he is my second captain. Second captain. That's uh-huh. a humorous competition. I saw that. Important men for my selection.
What is it all about? There's no tennis, it's about the pig. I love me county. It's a dump. We're going to do it. Thanks very much to Shane Horgan and Jerry Thorney for joining us on this bank holiday. How are you, Jerry? Good. Good stuff. Shane, how's the form? Very good. Very good. Good weekend of uh, European Cup rugby. Well, yeah, Leo Cullen was giving out about the hype around the Leinster team last week, Jerry, mm. saying it motivates their opponents, but they didn't do much to tap it down <laughs> by their own performance. Yeah, he was in a he was a strange mood last week, Leo. Yeah. I wonder, was the stream of consciousness on the Monday and again on the Friday, but particularly the Monday, anything to do with Robbie Henshaw's quad strain on the Monday, maybe, that we all didn't know about, but he must have known about. But either way, he didn't like yeah, there was a bit of tension between themselves and the EPC over the way the tickets were sold. There wasn't a capacity crowd, which, you know, as the club game of the season in Ireland, probably certainly up until now. He's been talking with the fans the whole time yeah. uh, over the last few weeks. And, and even afterwards, he's, he's and said, the players and, have, and, and yeah. trying to explain to yeah, the players, they're trying to, they're, there are a lot of games mm. at home and a lot of big games, but obviously asking the fan, asking supporters more to, to come week Let's after week. <laughs> yeah, and uh, at a time when difficult. season ticket holders are renewing their season tickets as well. I think that was their... Right. fifth home game of the season already which equals the record in one season and potentially now another one, two, three, four to go so and this comes after a Grand Slam coronation against England and a home game against France so there's a element maybe of Aviva fatigue out there. A lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There, this is just so much to choose from. And I think that uh, particularly, you know, the times are tough financially for people to like yeah. shelling out tickets. Prices, like they were very expensive tickets. The cheapest going around the last few days anyway, like 75 euros. Yeah. Very so, few family packages and yeah, very the cheap few. ones went quick. Yeah, yeah. listen, to, listen. The fi- financial imperative is you know is um, an issue certainly, but I, I do say it's it's quite a nice position to be in that we're um, complaining that we have to go to Grand Slam decider games and have to go to European Cup semi-finals and finals. So um, we, you know, without underestimating too much the, winning, Shane. Too much winning. Too much winning. Too much winning. Without underestimating the the. The financial imperative, um, it does bode well and uh, for, for Irish rugby. And I prefer it than the alternative, I have to say. <laughs> well, also, they, um, they're saving their fans a lot of cost in terms of travel by having all their games at home. Yeah. And it means an awful lot to them getting home games because the Aviva has become a fortress. Like mm. That is the 24th win in a row with crowds. Yeah. 
24th win in a row. The only defeat in the knockout wow. stage they've ever had was behind closed doors in that quarterfinal against Saracens. You'd have to think that might make a difference in the final. Could well make a difference in the finals. Well, it goes get... all the way back to 2015, so it's fairly impressive. Really? Yeah, Jeez. against Toulon. That's amazing, Shane. And, and it never, never really looked in doubt at the weekend. How impressed were you by Leinster's performance? Um, I was impressed, but in a, in a kind of different way, and I'm sure we'll come on to it later on, but I thought La Rochelle were the most impressive um, team uh, at the weekend. Leinster were impressive in a very Leinster type of way. Um, you know, they were very efficient, um, you know, didn't see a huge amount of offloading, um, but we saw quite a lot of uh, line breaks, um, everybody knowing their job. I looked at the sort of back line beforehand, and it was purely based on, in retrospect, it was purely based off Henshaw not playing. I was like, oh, are we, are we all of a little bit light there? And we weren't. Um, you know, key players stood up, performed very well, and most of all, um, you know, around the yellow cards, the change in you know, sort of Leinster's mentality to switch to recognise this is our opportunity and drive it in to a, to an even higher gear and um, you know make massive inroads during those periods. That was very impressive. Um, it just seemed like a very Leinster type performance. Yeah, I think Shane makes a good point there. It's not so much the yellow cards which happen in every game. It was Leinster's mental switch to the Toulouse yellow cards. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't necessarily follow that every time a team gets a yellow card, they concede 14 points. No. It has to be a very ruthless team with the 15 players on the pitch to maximise that numerical advantage. And it was a bit disingenuous, I thought, of the French media, Nugamola, to point out afterwards that with 15 against 15, they outscored Leinster by 22 points to 13 or whatever it was, whereas it was 28 nil in the two periods that Toulouse were down to 14 men. Remember, too, that in the quarterfinal against Leicester when the match was still very much in the balance Caelan Doris got a yellow card and that would produce Leinster's best 10 minutes of that whole performance that day and I think they won at 7 or 10 nil that 10 yeah, minutes yeah. so like it, it, their ability to go up a gear within a game as Shane highlighted there is, um, it's, it's huge in knockout football it's just huge and, and Jerry you know, a couple of things there one you can't say yellow cards are they're part of the game yeah. and how you manage them yeah. on both sides yeah. is vitally important and you know even more now because we know there's more yellow cards and more red cards than there's ever been in rugby so it's it's part of how you manage um and i think we saw a, you know on a, in a couple of ways uh, tactically to lose were really really disappointing and and the first one was around those yellow cards that first yellow card i counted at least four unforced errors uh, from them during that period that Leinster capitalised. So Leinster went up a gear, but Toulouse went down a gear. And any time you get a, a, a yellow card uh, against you, you should have a strategy to manage that period as effectively as possible. Toulouse managed both yellow cards really badly. Um, not taken away from Leinster, they definitely upped their game, but they were really given opportunity um, by um, by sort of, sort of inept uh, Toulouse play during that time, a naive play. And then the, the other one was around the you know the um, the split on the bench as well. Like tactically, that was you know crazy. I know where it came from, and I think they were looking to overpower Leinster in the pack. But where you've got a circumstance where you have one player, um, you got a centre gets injured, and it means that you your two best players and potentially two not potentially definitely two of the best players in the world have to leave their positions and change. That's that's not a good strategy under any circumstances. Just too clever for their own good there, weren't they? I mean, it's great having versatile players, but you don't do that to Antoine de Palma. Romain Entomac moving from 10 to 13 just becomes peripheral. Yeah, yeah. It's it, but it's 
it's too heavy of a roll of the dice. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's their thing. Oh, these guys are indestructible and, and, you know, we we won't have to do it. It won't, you know, that eventually, eventuality won't occur. Well, you know, it, it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility that it did occur. And it was so catastrophic in, in changing the way that they they play or the, or the potential for them to reach their maximum. That should have been enough to put it off. And listen, did that cost them the game? No. Maybe it did. Maybe it did. I don't know. Maybe it did. But it certainly didn't allow them to play at their maximum. And they sh- it shouldn't be one injury to your halfback means you have to take two of your best players and two of the world's best players and put them in positions that they can play because, they're br- because they are two of the world's best players, but where they're not going to operate at their maximum for themselves or for the team. Jerry, what did you make of the netty headbutt on Van der Fleer? It was a strange, very strange incident in that obviously Van der Fleer went at him once. Netty kind of used his head. That didn't look too illegal, but maybe a, a, a penalty. Nobody saw it, obviously. And then Van der Fleer went again. Van der Fleer went at him high, but Netty seemed to raise his head then to meet Van der Fleer, essentially a headbutt of sorts. And that was another yellow card. What, what did you make of it? It's a strange-looking situation. Very strange. Watch it again and again. In one sense, you can understand why Netty, he sees Van der Fleer coming. Yeah. And what do you do but kind of maybe brace yourself for protection? Because you're kind of trapped in a mall. Exactly, or, or exactly. Rock, yeah. But he, he lined him up. He clearly sees him coming and leads with his head, not his shoulders. Yeah. And I was, at the time, I just we all thought it was, I was convinced it was just a straight red because... It was head-on-head contact, as Wayne Barnes said, and he said, you go to the TMO to check if there was a deliberate act of foul play. And he came and said, it was not a clear, deliberate act. Well, if the player looks at him, sees him coming, and then leaves with his head, I don't know what is. <laughs> he also said, if, if there's doubt, you could hear this in, on the, the the system as well, if there's doubt between a red and a yellow, it's mm. yellow. So there seems to be a, a, some clarification whether they're trying not to give, in inverted commas, soft red cards. Yeah. So, so it's ironic because be, we've yeah. been here before with the Uni Antonio one and the Ireland-France game, also Wayne Barnes, which was upgraded effectively to a red afterwards mm. by a disciplinary p- panel subsequently, which meant that Wayne Barnes got a little bit of a reprimand. It'd be interesting to see if the same thing happens here. I thought it should have been red. And again, we have this kind of mixed feelings about it, which is probably not politically correct and given the, the issues around concussion and head injuries for players, but that you felt on one level, yes, he should have got red, a bit like the Antonio one. But had it been red, it would have somehow devalued Leinster's wins, as it would have devalued Ireland's wins. And I was quite happy to see Antonio got sub- punished subsequently, but that France couldn't go home with the excuse it was 15 against 14 for however long. Were, were you suggesting that Va- Van der Fleer was somewhat at fault there? You said a couple of times yeah. he also came was, in high. I was going to ask you, Shane, what you thought of Van der Fleer's role, and <laughs> I just couldn't quite figure out what he was trying to do. I thought Van der Fleer got what he deserved, actually. That's really? What I thought. I, I, yeah, I thought that was my, my, my kind of, you know, my initial instinct. And actually, even watching it back, I thought he had a go and then he had another go. And sometimes you do things and there's consequences to it. And I know there's a, you, um, the, you know, at the moment, and, and it's correct that, that we, we think, you know, um, anybody gets a bang on the head. But, you know, this wasn't a one way thing. The Toulouse player was in the rook. He was stationary. He was being run into. He was vulnerable, I I thought. He was vulnerable. Under those circumstances, it's the guy who's flying into the rook has to be careful where he's going. Yes, he did brace for it, and maybe there was a bit of movement in the head. But I kind of thought, listen, there's a shared responsibility here. And it certainly wasn't all one way. And if it was was the flip uh, reverse, I'd be saying, you know, that, that player got what he deserved. And... 
you know, sometimes you have to modify your, you know, the way you enter rooks and your behavior on the rugby pitch. And, you know, what we don't have anymore is, you know, a self-policing because it's very difficult to self-police. And, you know, I'm not saying we go back to, to the days when if you went on the wrong side of the rope, you know, you, you got, um, you got made mince meat of. But there is something, there's a little bit of a, you know, there's a duty of care from the player running in and maybe it puts a bit of a noodle in your head to go, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing it's that. It's still a red, though, isn't it, though? It, it, it's still a red card, regardless of I, the I fact that Vanderfleer may have red. brought it upon I, I, himself. I, I kind of thought Vanderfleer could have got a yellow, it. too. I don't know. Yeah, I think that could have happened. I think, and that might have been better, two yellows. But Vanderfleer was running in. He was running in fairly high as well. Yep. You know, the guy's bracing himself. Uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have... Um, be, it could have easily been a yellow for Van der Fleer and if it was I would have thought fair enough I'll tell you where Leinster got very lucky I thought was the Porter one mm-hmm. I don't know was that just missed because the score happened the score happened, happened so to lose scored yeah. anyway yeah. and maybe you're less inclined to look at, at, at instance foul play but it was a, it was a textbook tip in, in a legal way tip tackle he didn't seem to be paying much regard to where the player landed now maybe they landed we didn't get enough replays again no, because we didn't we see didn't. it so maybe yeah. they landed on their back only a yellow. If so, even that would have been quite lucky. French media were particularly was, was, annoyed. Yellow or red for yeah, Porter there. The French media were particularly annoyed about that and Mola as well. Less so, but the French media, there's a bit of a, a feeling among the French media that they get, um, they don't get treated fairly here and that uh, the camera angles that aren't, that aren't shown to the TMO that should be shown. And, <laughs> oh, that's oh a good one. God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, is, I know. But that is the, that is the narrative in the French media there's a little bit of that going on and well there was admit, a try admit, there was a try in the Six Nations isn't that what they're thinking of was that against France our, 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 our try that was or wasn't listen we can come James back to Lowe. Lowe. James Lowe yeah James Lowe yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's probably mm. in their head I'd yeah say, that right? is as well yeah 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 yeah. but yeah I think uh, I thought Andrew Porter was fortunate there Shane what did you think I, I, I couldn't see it properly it's, it's the issue and I went back and I sort of went back to the replays and there weren't a huge amount of replays no. and it seemed to move on very quickly mm. but what I did notice uh, by replaying it so often was you could see the um, um, Toulouse coach going bananas. He was going, why isn't this being reviewed? And I assume that's what he was talking about because um, he, they had just scored a try and it wasn't elation, it was agitation. And I'm certain that's what it was. Yeah. And and again, it, you know, that should have been reviewed. I, I got the feeling that maybe he landed on, you know, on the flat of his back, but it did look very aggressive. It did look tippy. Um, so, you know, that could have been a, a different story. And, you know, Toulouse had just scored and, um, you know, Leinster get a man in the bin at that point and that's a, potentially a significant swing. Just going back to Leo Cullen, his reaction afterwards, he was asked about, you know, the Barassi injury and the fact that Ugo Mola changed the whole backline Dupont to 10 and he was saying, well, if you don't do 6-2 split on your bench, so 6 forwards, 2 backs, there's always a risk with that. He said, we debated in every team meeting, should mm-hmm. we go 6-2? Mm-hmm. Obviously, this all started with Rassi Erasmus, mm-hmm. South Africa. And he said, there's a risk with it. And if you get an injury early on to a backline player, no this is what happens. And there was a bit of him, and there's a huge part of me, I love to see a team punished for going 6-2. Yes, because likewise. if these bigger, particularly uh, teams with a natural size advantage get to roll off giant props and giant second rows in the 60th minute over and over and never get punished for it. The risk-reward never gets weighed up as much. And now, hopefully in a big game like this, and I'd love to see it happen to South Africa as well, where, hang on, this 6-2 thing is yeah. an fait accompli that there's well, risk-reward. I couldn't agree with you more. I've always hated them. I think that there's almost something... I'd almost think that World Web Jones introduced a rule forbidding it because mm. in this day and age, to bring on six monster forwards for the last 20 minutes... It just it it 
doesn't sit right with me. Mm. I just think that I don't know whether it's I don't know whether it's scientifically proven out, but as whether or not more injuries follow, maybe they don't. But I I agree with you totally in that I don't think it suits Toulouse either. I don't think it's what Toulouse are about in just trying to beat you up with yeah. six forwards off the bench. And it's the problem, isn't it, when a team wins a World Cup with a certain yes. style? Yeah, people copycat yep, it. It happens do. every time, yep. and and when maybe this cycle hasn't been great for rugby in that sense. Exactly, exactly. And I, I very rarely recall. Irish teams ever doing it. Munster do it once or twice. They did it a few times under Johan van Graan. They did it a couple of times mm. in South Africa tour. But by and large, I can't ever recall Ireland doing it. And I'm glad they never do it. And for that very reason, as you said, Simon, if you get an injury to one of your backs in the first 15 minutes, you basically cannot afford to make another replacement in your back line for the rest of the game. Burch. But interestingly, Leinster are probably in the best position to do that type of split yeah. because Frawley covers so many players mm-hmm. uh, positions and actually the back three are so adaptable that was the, the odd thing as well about the, to lose the choice of their two backs on the oh. to split a winner come scrum half who got the winning try for La Rochelle in the final last year do you remember he's a winner come scrum half Rettier or Grau's a specialist scrum half very odd do they not have That's one other utility back in the whole of Toulouse that's the issue. That's the issue more than anything else. And, that, you know, you make your decision, you know, you roll the dice, but then you try and mitigate the you know potential issues that are going to c- come about. And they didn't by picking those two guys. It was ludicrous. So they're, as I said at the start, they're in a position where they haven't got a player that can cover those. You need someone who can cover centres and potentially back three, you know, or, or, or 10 centers and and you know then you can deal with the back three you, of course you need a nine but if you've got like a you've got a winger that means that you have to reshape your whole back line and most importantly again sorry to reiterate but there are two best players in their best position one injury means you have to move those two that's too big a risk mm. and it hasn't it doesn't mitigate the potential advantage that you would get um you know by that six two split Two weeks ago, Toulouse had a cracking game against Leon in the top 14. I watched from beginning to end. Leon have the best away record in the top 14. They've got a whole four away wins, but they actually go away from home and they give it a go. That's the record, <laughs> that's, is it? Four. That's the highest this season. That's the best away record in the top 14. And they, um, they went to Toulouse last two Sundays ago, the peak game, the 8 o'clock Sunday night game, I think it was. And it was like 38 33 or something. Leon actually outscored Toulouse by four tries to three. And. They just Toulouse had just come off their epic quarterfinal win over Sharks and they put Dupont on the bench, they put Ramos on the bench, they might even put Entomac on the bench, they put a lot of their big guns on the bench and they got injuries. Uh, poor Ange Quapult, so his shoulder went after a couple of minutes again. So Dupont came on after about five or ten minutes, so did Ramos, and Dupont actually went into out half. And Toulouse do play Dupont a fair bit at yeah. out half. But Leinster, of course, watched that game, so they actually had prepared for this eventuality as well. They had all their bases mm-hmm. covered because a little bit also in that sense yeah. that Toulouse had shown their hand. In I that think respect. we snuffed Dupont quite well to get yes. Ireland and Leinster. Well, it's an amazing thing, Simon, that we know these Leinster and Irish players have not lost one match all season. Mm. It's incredible. Yeah. Like Grand Slam, unbeaten November, and now, you know, on, still on course yeah. for a double. Anton Dupont has started 22 or 23 matches this season. He's only lost, he's only on the losing side twice, <laughs> both in the Aviva. Like a lot of the, La Ramos has only had three defeats all the season. The other one was in Poe. Uh, Flamand, all these players. They, the the frontline Toulouse team were unbeaten and top of the f- top 14. Whenever they play, they generally win. And France have only had one defeat this season. So, we might move, talk about that another time, but this yeah. obviously has implications for the World Cup mm. because I think yeah. France must be now a little bit spooked by Irish rugby. And even La Rochelle beating Leinster in the final wouldn't necessarily train, 
change that because Toulouse are much more yeah. of a French type side yeah. than La Rochelle. Yeah, well, it's, certainly, it's certainly no harm. It's yeah. certainly no yeah. harm, Jerry. Yeah. Is I don't it? know about spooked, I, but a doubt, a seed yeah. of doubt. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, and listen, they we we know that this French team, these French players, will be different in the World Cup because of just what will come and, uh, behind them. And I, I think even the difference between you know the World Cup and France, what I played, and this the atmosphere, the lead in, the positioning of the French crowd as a vital component and the, the, the French population as a, a vital component in that success is has been building for a number of years and they have a different sort of connection to this team than they did to that team. But still, even that said, um, you know, this is these performances and these victories are, are are definitely doing Ireland no harm. I definitely think we'd have them spooked if we were playing in the Aviva. You know, if if the if the World Cup was in Ireland, I'd be feeling pretty confident mm. if we end up. But I don't know if it's the same when it's as Shane's saying when it's a French team in a World Cup. No, I just Cup think I just think, listen. I do think they will. It's not that we'll have them spooked, but will they will think differently about. Uh, how they'll play against us. And they will recognise that Ireland are capable of doing stuff um, that, um, you know, that they maybe previously didn't think. And and listen, what the, why I'm thinking about that is the example of that is that very early break by Leinster where we're, they were deep in their 22 and it was two passes and got out and, you know, they made um, Gibson Parker and kicking the ball and was they probably went about 70 metres. That is not, I would say traditional Irish play, you know, by any manner of means. So French players won't be, uh, won't have thought that that was necessarily on. And those Toulouse players, even at this point, even the exposure they've had to Leinster over the years and Ireland over the years, I think they were a little bit surprised by that. Now that means that they're they're more aware of it now. That means that they do have to def- defend in a slightly different way, and that may may mean that that wide option is covered. But it also means that there's a little chink somewhere else because because that's in their head as well. And I think, you know, recognizing that an Irish team has multiple threats actually means there's opportunity for Ireland. Can we talk about Jack Conan's performance, Shane? We had him on the podcast a few weeks ago after the after the Six Nations, and he revealed that he had had this medical issue the previous season which turned out to be a cyst on his pituitary gland which has been dealt with since but it affected him psychologically and physically a lot of energy issues for quite a number of months last year I think looking at him at the weekend he looked certainly to be back to his best yeah fair to say he's got he's got a handle on it <laughs> and um yeah, by the way, that interview I thought was brilliant. You yeah, know, well we done. We don't that's... get enough. We don't get enough from from players, and you know, do these interviews after games. I know it's not like but like, and you get the standard answers, and that's you know maybe they have to do that during the Six Nations as well because you know there is this case of using your you know, teams using your um your war words against you, but after a Six Nations where you could see there was a sort of comfort and there was an openness and. You know, Jack's very, very good interviewee as well. He's very giving. So I thought it was like, it was really insightful. So I now, as a result, you kind of feel as if uh, you know more about Jack and I'm invested more in (laughs) his. Yeah, yeah, we're saying it earlier. Yeah. You know, and and I think that's very beneficial for players and, and they should be kind of aware of that because every time he gets the ball, there's a roar. In the Aviva, I'm not. I'm not the only one that's been affected by that sort of, you know, that that openness that he has and and understanding his personality a bit more and. Um, I love seeing players' personalities on the field, and you do it with him. He's a, like a super hard worker. You know, any of those concerns that you know, those fatigue uh, concerns that he's had over, and which sounded like a bit of a tough time for him, uh, as I'm sure it was, both physically and mentally. 
um, they were sort of banished. And the fact that he's gone into eight and they've re sort of orientated the um the back yeah. line. Listen, I'm oh, sorry, sorry, the back row. Like who would who would in their right mind be going? Oh, we're going to move Doris to six. <laughs> who does you know? Mm. He's an outstanding player, maybe in in the Six Nations this year. He's been Ireland's most outstanding player for a couple of years. But they're doing it because the balance of the back row is such that, you know, when Jack Conan is playing as at his best, and we saw on the Lions a couple of summers ago that he's he you know he's a, um, a sort of a, an absolutely key player and and and, and a, you know, a massive performer for Leinster. That balance of that back row just looks so good at the moment. They're all great workers. They're all smart. Again, you know, ad nauseum I said that they're very aware of the bigger picture. Footwork good. Um, you know, and that of all the sort of rows in the uh, Leinster team, I think is the one that their success is most built on, actually. Yeah, I would agree. The main reason I thought Leinster were going to win, apart from home advantage, was the uh, the advantage they would have in the back row. I just thought they had a mm-hmm. better back row. The way Conan's playing. The only shame is that Doris... By moving him to six, you just see less of his ball carrying because six just don't get on the ball as much as eight. And you see it for that try by Jason Jenkins. It's Conan's carry. And then Doris comes in and makes a brilliant clear out, which basically opens the path to the line for McGrath to feed Jenkins. So, But that's typical of Doris. He's a very selfless team player, as is, as the whole three of them are. Their work rate is savage. We hardly saw Thibaut Flama, one of the players of the tournament. Mm-hmm. They hardly saw him the match. We got that try at the end. Oh, I forgot he was playing. Mm-hmm. Francois Crowe. Had a, had a resurgence towards the end of Six Nations and s- since then hardly saw him. Jack Willis was probably about the best of the three of them yeah. but they were completely eclipsed by the Irish back row which is in sensational form at the moment and it's it's great to see Jack playing as well as he did and listen to that interview you guys did with them. It just shows you how often we don't really know. No players, no, almost no players ever 100% but you don't know yeah. what percentage they're really running no, at. I have got a clue what's going on. No, yeah. And we're judging them from the breast box yeah. or from our armchairs or yeah. wherever, you know. Yeah. And Jerry, I've I've felt that as well because, you know, I, I Simon, I think I gave you a shout afterwards. I sent you yeah. a message. I said it actually really resonated with me because, uh, and sometimes you do this as as a, an analyst, having you you forget what your experience was when you were a player, and it was so often, you know, I'd be carrying an injury and half the team would be carrying an injury and maybe sometimes quite a significant injury into games. And you can't, one, let anybody know about that. Mm. And two, you can't really speak about it afterwards because nobody cares. <laughs> you know, nobody cares whether you're injured yeah. um, as, as impacting the, your performance. The, we are in, and they are in, a performance business. That's even, it. Even your coach and, probably and, doesn't have much sympathy for you, Shane, does he? Doesn't give a shite, Jerry. Doesn't give a shite. <laughs> now, he, he has enough sympathy to get you on the pitch, right? So he, because, and that is the kind of the deal that you make with each other. You're going, right, I'm carrying this, but you have to trust me that I'll deliver for you if you pick me, knowing that I am carrying an injury. And he's going, no problem. I'll pick you. And knowing you have the injury, but you have to deliver for me. And that works out. That's a lot of the time it works out. But if it do, when when it doesn't work out, you know everybody feels uh, a little bit sore about it. But rugby is such a physical game that you know I would say ninety percent of uh, of uh, games, seventy five percent of people have something that they're not feeling a hundred percent with. It's just the way it works. Mm. Oh, I don't want to say all of Conan's form is down to second captains. But if you also think Dan Sheehan did a live show with us and his form since has been good as yeah, well. Yeah, it was pretty good beforehand, to be fair, with Dan Sheehan. I think he's, he, he, he already started like a trick. Just one final yeah. thing. When right? he got that ball, didn't you? Everybody in the ground just know, oh, it's Dan Sheehan, he's going to score. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. so funny how he's analysed as well. It's not, it's just, it's analysed like, 
you're super talented back obviously he's going to finish from there you yeah, know? It's, just, yeah. it's still hard for me to adjust to that with one. the and back chasing and, him, and yeah. one of the reasons you know that Leinster are going to make um, 15 against 14 immediately into 7 points from the penalty that goes to the corner and the scoreboard is because his darts are just wonderful mm. yeah. Like yeah, you just yeah. take that for granted as well as everything else his basics are f- fantastic yeah so it, three times in recent years Leinster have hammered Toulouse right yeah and five, yeah. yeah, and they look like a better coach team. And then Toulouse have won the double. They tend to beat La Rochelle in I think won the eight top the last 14. nine or something. Yeah. Against them. yeah, and yet when we face La Rochelle, I feel like not that they're better coach, but it sort of styles make fights. Essentially, Toulouse Completely. kind of suit Leinster. And La Rochelle kind of suits Completely. Leinster. It's like you think back to Don't boxing, like Ali eventually got the battle, better, better of Joe Fraser over three fights. Fraser would pummel Ken Norton and Ken Norton always yeah. gave Ali problems. It's just the way yep. Styles makes fights and the way they match yeah. up. And there's Our some coaches make fights. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and you know, you're watching La Rochelle yesterday and you go, oh, yeah, okay. Leinster just put him to lose to the sword. But once again, La Rochelle loom as a bigger obstacle partly because the Ogara factor they'll work out a plan and partly because they're the one team perhaps in this competition who can stop Leinster mm. physically on the contact zone and in, they've got so many threats over the ball poachers he, poachers said, it, he said it last year yeah I, I picked loads yeah. of poachers yeah. for a reason yeah, yeah. and you know um, they're going to come with something similar again Sorry, Shane, you uh, need to get in there. Jeremy, I don't know. I don't know. I was listening to the commentary. I, by the way, I was so impressed by um, La Rochelle yesterday. Um, I thought tactically they were they were set up brilliantly. Um, but almost, I was a little bit frustrated um, by some of the commentary that was that was, um, I think, over over you know, overstating the power. Listen, they have this intense power, you know, right across the whole team, but. You get the feeling that this La Rochelle team can beat you in a number of ways. You know they really can. They you know they have a power game, and they have an offloading game. I thought they're um, they developed their their the the way they attack their kicking game. So that cross kick was on the entire time. Their wingers, open wingers, are up very flat, and then they work back to get um, as an option to if the ball is moved wide, which is kind of quite and kind of I think a very Ogaraism in their play. Their work rate is phenomenal. And I noticed their work rate in defence. Um, you know, sort of. I watched the two games back to back, and the work uh, rate by Toulouse versus the work rate uh, La Rochelle was you know, there was no comparison. Actually, how quickly they were up and in the line. Their scramble defence is excellent. Um, they score tries more easily when they get into your twenty-two. But they they have this phenomenal last ditch on the line defense that was sort of I was trying to think who they reminded me of, and it was Wales in their pomp when that Wales team under Gatland that it was so difficult to get over the line against them that last meter that's what La Rochelle have so yes they are power and but they are so much more than that they are a very very complete team and what's more I think they're favourites for this um, final really even though it's in Dublin yeah I think. It's about time, you know, we need to sort of respect this uh, La Rochelle side. Um, and I know we all respect Ronan and, and what's he, what he's achieved there and through his career. But there's always kind of this thing of the last few years that, I, you know, Leinster are, are, are that much better. They have beaten Leinster the last two times they played against them, in, in, you know, in the semi-final and, and final of this competition and, and deserved both those victories. Um, um, and they probably should have won um, 
um, the um, the cup two years ago against Toulouse. But for that, I think it was that sending off. I thought tactically they had Toulouse done in that final in, in Twickenham. Yeah, so, it's funny. Toulon came out of nowhere and won it three times in a row. And there's a hint of La Rochelle about that Toulon team in that it breaks the mould of the European Cup. A team springs out of nowhere. Normally you have to cut your teeth, have a few near misses, and then you come through. Toulon ripped up that script and La Rochelle almost certainly did. Shane's right, if they'd won that final, they'd be now going for three in a row. Mm. And we'd be thinking of them in an even different light again. Also, the other thing, Shane, is they didn't have Tuira Kerbarlo in the final last year. And Antoine Hastoy has come through as their out half, who's probably a better player than Ihio West, um, even though West was Goal kicking was outstanding in the final last year, yeah. or two years ago in the semi final. Rather, but he's a br- he's a more dangerous player on off go forward ball. Now he has struggled a little bit when Labrachelle haven't been dominant up front, but when he when they get on any kind of momentum going, he's a brilliant player. He's a running threat himself, and they've got running threats throughout the back line. And Carbarlo is just. You saw him yesterday. The way he spots a gap and scored his two tries, yeah. he scored in every round of the knockout stages. And also, it feels like La Rochelle, and it's fair play to Agara. He's per- performed a little bit of a lobotomy on the top fourteen, and certainly on La Rochelle to make them dream of winning Europe, winning mm. oh, yeah. the Champions Cup. That was never a part of their DNA until he came along. And now you look at forty-two thousand cell. You look at those. Did you scenes. see him on BT afterwards? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were saying, oh, "How does English rugby get this? You know, the crowds, the mm. money, yeah. the culture." And he's like, "It wasn't always like this." No, exactly. And I was watching my wife, who's from Cork as well. She's like, "Is he saying this is all down to him?" And it's it's not that he's <laughs> talking about funding did. and all that sort of stuff. But it actually, I know it's a bit too Irish centric, but a lot of it is actually down to Raj. Yeah, that sort of culture, yeah. believing yeah. in Europe. Yeah, like yeah. it was obviously ready to go there. I, I, a, and also sorry, Jean, very quick, are they not getting better as the rounds were going? Like in the pool stages yeah. they struggled to beat Ulster. They had a, they had a yeah. couple of iffy performances. That was by some distance their best performance so far in this mm. competition. Shane, last one to you on they're, 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 they're a hard track team as well. They are a better yeah. team at this time of the year than they are you know, earlier on in, in sort of you know the the, the sort of um, quagmire Winter, yeah. type grounds. It allows them to lean into their offloading game uh, which is phenomenal, the best in Europe by a long way, um, um, and they um, they're also not risk averse, you know. So they're not wild in the way they they pass, but they are often looking for an offload. There, I think that comes again from O'Gara in from Canterbury, where there shouldn't be a fear in making a mistake, and you can see those pl- players are very very comfortable with an element of risk, and it pays off very often for them. But that was the other thing that came out of. The um, you know, me watching the game. How many times have we seen over the years and recent past, um, you know, stadiums for uh, European Cup semi-finals half full, mm-hmm. um, with big teams in it. I'm talking Saracens were sort of you know, <clears throat> one of the biggest yep. teams or in you know, multiple winners, and you would do a, a semi-final and there would be you know a, ha- a half a full or three-quarter full stadium. I was buoyed by the fact that it was Exeter, who you know I couldn't imagine having a huge amount of people traveling. Against La Rochelle, who are you know La, La Rochelle isn't a massive place. No, they said everybody in La Rochelle got the trade out. <laughs> I was I was saying well, like if you, were, La Rochelle was if you were a burglar in La Rochelle, if you were a burglar in La Rochelle, you were having a field day yesterday, weren't you? There was nobody at home. Yeah, you could have sweeped out. 
The you, whole place. You hope five, six, seven thousand come to Dublin, don't you? And just put, there's a big chunk of yellow and blue in the stadium. It deserves it. Yeah. First time yeah. ever the same two teams have contested the final two years running. Amazing yeah. to think that. Mm. No, it's, it's yeah. good stuff for Leinster. It's, just, it's not all rosy for Irish rugby at the moment, though, Jerry. The women's team, well beaten in the end by Scotland after after a reasonably decent first half. Mm-hmm. Well beaten in the end. They finished bottom of the table, lost all their games, a minus 167 points difference. It's their worst ever season. Does this feel like rock bottom yeah it does a bit doesn't it you kind of l- listen to Sending Opu and uh, the girls talking after the game yeah the, the emotion there was so plain yeah, to see yeah. you know, people who were so invested in the yeah. game and the women's game particularly in this country and Sending you know, held her hands up and said that this does date back to the losing the World Cup qualifier in Italy to Scotland that cost Ireland a place in the World Cup I was always a bit perplexed by the Optimism, understandably, I suppose, to some degree, coming around, out of the camp, but also around Ireland's chances in the Six Nations, given that Scotland, Wales, Italy, particularly, never mind England and France, are just in a different yeah, status yeah, anyway. Forget about competing exactly, with them for, exactly. for a long time. Yeah. But the other three had all been playing in a World Cup when Ireland had, but Ireland had just had a couple of games in Japan, by, and we're coming in with a relatively new team, and they all have more settled teams, and Ireland were away to all three of them. And then you saw from the first game after the defeat by Wales, when they probably picked the wrong scrum. But even allowing for that, you kind of went, well, it's hard to see this Irish team picking up a point from here on in. Mm. And by the time they got to England, it was a damage limitation exercise and it was a relative success to be the only team to keep England under 50 until that fantastic finale between England and France on Saturday. Mm. So, yeah, it, and but the problem is they go into this tier three of the World the 15th. Actually, yeah, yeah. So can we explain that for, for people? So that the World Rugby introducing a three-tiered yeah. world competition to make for more international rugby. And it's... <clears throat> It's a little bit more, I don't know, democratic, is that the word? Uh, democratic for, in that a lot of outside, other na- tier two nations are coming into this competition. And so, but Ireland are going into tier three, which means they're going to play the likes of Papua New Guinea and Kazakhstan and so forth. And this is obviously separate to the Six Nations. Separate they're, to they're the, in the Six Nations this year, sure. but their, their games in the meantime are against these lower exactly. teams. Yeah. So you'd wonder how much that's going to raise their standards. Hopefully they get a few wins under the belt. But meantime, Scotland, Wales and Italy are playing against tougher quality opposition. Mm. So when it comes to the Six Nations next year, the inherent problems within the Irish system about a lack of a player pathway, about a lack of... Uh, like the, provinc- the provinces even this new competition the combined provinces in the Celtic Cup it's given all the Welsh and Scottish players are playing in the Premiership it apparently it's just not it didn't prove worthwhile this season mm. wonder whether you'll even keep it going and it's hard to see how Irish rugby can fast track this you know, to bridge this gap how they can do yeah. it quickly yeah, what it reminds me a bit of, and I was listening to this recently about the Premier League when it started and some of the founding teams who voted for it, Notts County were one of them there now, I think non-league. And it's just at this point where money and like there's almost 60,000 at Twickenham, you know, watching the England team, as money and TV rights and standards and the proper Premier 15s league in England, all that start to happen. And that's pulling in the Welsh and Scottish too, a lot of Welsh players in that league that are we just missing it at the point that the game takes off and it's going to take yeah. longer than it even should do to catch up. If we, we, We're two years now in this WXV playing, apparently the likes of Kazakhstan and Jamaica, and I'm sure we'll win those games. So we're stuck in it for two years. As you say, Wales and Scotland and the rest start to play these other games. And then the, the BBC were making a good point afterwards. They were saying that there's a sort of like a golden period here where people are accepting big blowouts and this happens in men's games as well but there isn't a whole competition where you go England will win that game France will win that game over and over every week and then they'll play in the end England will probably win but at least we've got one game in the competition where the result is in doubt there's a period here where people are going yeah that's acceptable that won't last forever if Ireland and whoever lose by 50 points every week 
that's not going to work. So maybe the WXV becomes a more important competition than the Six Nations. Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah, I know what you mean. Because yeah. if you pull in uh, USA and Canada, who are very good in New Zealand, that's kind of more interesting and more relevant to the women's game. Just because the Six Nations works for the men's doesn't mean it's an amazing competition for the women's. But I'm worried about it. My main point is I'm worried about Ireland having obviously left the game, like not invested in it in any shape or form, time-wise, money-wise, for so long. And we're just at the point, the wrong point to not yeah. be doing that. Picked a really bad time to be bottom of the Six Nations pile. It yeah. looks that way. Without being too grim about it, that's the way it looks. Like I said, how do you bridge this gap? Because the structures aren't in place. And uh, it, you'd almost think, should we, should Irish women's rugby go the way of Irish men's rugby in the mid-90s when the first game first went professional and just a flight of wild geese proportions over to the Premier Premiership in England mm. as happened then with London Irish and so forth I'm not saying that's the answer I don't know what the answer is to God's honest truth I do think that there's been a decade now of investment of Olympic Committee money into the sevens game which yeah. is great it's great that the girls and the boys want to try and get to the Olympics and they perform brilliantly in world seven circuits and good luck to them and I hope the women's team make the Olympics and I but my point being that even if they make the Olympics and even if they make the semi-finals and even if they win a bronze medal, which would be an incredible achievement mm. or something better, how there'll be nothing like the viewership figures that there are for Six Nations mm. games on terrestrial television. Be BBC, where hundreds of thousands, over a million people maybe watch a game and see Ireland lose 48 nil to England, wherever it was last year. Yeah. And the same Virgin Media and RT. I'm sure the audience figures weren't great, but it's still terrestrial television. So the 15-side game is the game. It would be Ireland. great, by the way. They would be great if the team was winning. Exactly. You know, if we were back to 10 exactly. years ago and competing for but, a Grand Slam. But my my labour point being that TV. this is the shop window for women's rugby. Yeah. The Six Nations, not with the best will in the world, a sevens game, which is no, no longer even on Sky Sports. It's, you have to get access via streaming service. And let's say the Irish women's team win a bronze medal in the, in the Olympics game. Be brilliant. How many young girls are going to be inspired to take up the game by maybe catching that mm. that summer as opposed to watching Ireland perform pretty well in a Six Nations game? Also, is sevens rugby even a thing in Ireland? Like, great if you want to play sevens rugby well where do you go and play sevens rugby like this is a 15s aside game we've never had a great tradition of sevens yeah. rugby from the club system up I have to say I do I do enjoy I, I do really enjoy watching I love watching I, I love watching sevens at the last Olympics and I do think if Ireland were to somehow get a medal it, that would probably ins- inspire quite a lot of people but the issue and Joe put, put it to the panel on Virgin and, is yeah. it, is it feasible to try to plough resources into both at the moment and you know it certainly doesn't seem to be wh- whatever way it's being divided up certainly the 15 seem to be suffering quite badly at yeah the and some some fantastic players in sevens like Stacey Flo's a brilliant distributor she'd be in a yeah. good out half or 12 in any international team yeah. you've got great finishers and like Amy Lee yeah. and Bevan Parsons and so forth and they don't like the 15s team don't have a weapon at the moment no just feel, exactly even just pace on the wings can we start with something that was the only difference there? really in the defeat against Italy Italy yeah. two very good wingers and a very good 12 and that was the difference mm. really the truth be told and um, yeah it's, I, I don't know that it's we cannot say that the investment in sevens rugby has benefited the women's 15 side. So, and I totally get Fiona Coughlin's point that you can't mix and match you can't be bringing them in on non-sevens weekends and bring them in and play them in a Six Nations game and then they're unavailable the following week that just doesn't build cohesion it probably builds a split in the camp mm-hmm. I used to think that might have been the solution but no I, I bow to Fiona's greater knowledge in this and say I think she's right but I'm just not sure that this investment and women's sevens rugby is benefiting the 15 side at all. All right. Jerry, Shane, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Emil. Cheers, lads. Cheers.
Most sports nutrition experts would argue that the, the fueling begins, in fact, the most important element of it is the day before, particularly the night before. So if you could yeah. take us through your routine. To win the Premier League is a war on nutrition. Okay, well, the night before I had a, I had sort of a chicken salad. Yeah, perfect. Lovely, perfect. I put a bit of pesto on. I mean, oh, I put okay. half a jar of That's too much pesto, but it's not the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. And I actually bulked up that chicken salad with a little bit of Israeli couscous. We're still okay. We're still in the realms of pretty good nutrition, I would say, the day before a race. I had uh, two beers. It's the best thing in the world for you because it's full of protein. Um, okay, not ideal, but not the end of the world. I had a small Pringles. You know the Ritter, Ritter Sport Bars? I hadn't seen cornflake one before. Nobody had any soup to start with, nobody had any puddings to finish with. They had fish and chips. Okay, I had a whiskey and coke. No, no, come on, not great, not great. Not after the beers. Uh, well, it was a whiskey and coke zero. You know, you probably know what direction I was thinking. I'm having a whiskey. You could have one drink, no more, and then you're back to the hotel and you're off to bed. Then I was thinking, what will I have? Nah, you know what, you know, I'll have a cup of tea. Okay, uh, perfect. I had tea, then I had a few digestive biscuits. Well, there was a suggestion that there was sort of an all-you-can-eat sort of a thing going on. I wasn't counting them. I wasn't counting them. They were like buns to an elephant. I was just hoovering them up. And then just before I went to bed, I had a slice of toast with Nutella. No! It was whole grain. It was whole grain bread. A reminder before we go today, your football pod with Ken will be available tomorrow for World Service members. Paul Flynn and Michael Murphy on the show on Wednesday, where no doubt we'll be talking about Kildare manager Glenn Ryan's verbal broadside about the dubs having an unfair advantage at Croke Park. Anti-Dublin bias is the biggest load of bollocks. Radio Shane? Total and other dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, any excuse to play that, to be fair. Miss that bastard. <laughs> uh, thanks, Murph. Thank you, Ud. Thanks, uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Murph. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to sign up to hear all episodes ad-free on secondcaptains.com. The Second Captains podcast is part of the Acast. Creator Simon Network. Acast. Creator Network. Acast? No, wait. Network. (laughs) Acast? Creator. Network. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.